Chapter 19. The Letter. Located in the heart of the United Kingdom, the Peak District National Park was a picturesque escape from the worries of city life. With its rolling green hills, winding rivers and idyllic canals, it served as the perfect setting for the Herald family's holiday cabin. An old stone structure nestled on the northern side of the park. It was a retreat where tranquility reigned supreme. Bridget Herald was strolling one of the trails near the cabin, her mind wandering amidst the peaceful scenery. Her heart, however, was weighed down with unease as she made her way back to the cabin, mentally preparing herself for the challenges the dawning day would bring. The world had dramatically changed over the past week, and the tranquility of the National Park seemed more illusionary than ever. As Bridget opened the door, she heard the muted drone of a television news bulletin hosted by the Ministry of the Corps Library. She shed her boots and jacket, making her way into the living room where Elizabeth sat, her expression blank and her eyes glassy. She was rooted to an old red couch, fixated on the flickering screen. The suspect known to authorities as Herald is still at large, the newscaster's voice filled the room, and the overseer is currently seeking cooperation on the whereabouts of traitors and co-conspirators. As she stared, Elizabeth murmured to herself, this is all wrong. He would never have been involved in something this horrible. Just a week earlier, mere hours after the Great Reset took place, the world order had been thrown into disarray by a series of horrifying attacks. A state of emergency was declared almost worldwide, with centralized powers being passed to the League, as cities around the globe were rocked by a series of unthinkable explosions. It was like a row of dominoes falling. First Paris, its cosmopolitan heart wiped out in mere seconds, then Stalingrad, followed by an eruption in the depths of Manhattan, New York. By the time unknown German terrorists were intercepted by librarian security on their way to London, nearly 15 million lives had been lost. Near the top of an infamous list of traitors being broadcasted, every hour was one name that struck a personal chord, Herald. As the alleged insider and ringleader of the foiled London bombing, his name had gained a sinister reputation. The family, since the attack, had been confined by the British authorities and were currently not allowed to leave the area. Unable to bear the thought of having the hopeless conversation with Elizabeth again, Bridget decided to divert her attention to starting breakfast before the girls woke. Walking into the kitchen, she was confronted with an untouched mess, uneaten food, half-drunk glasses and rubbish scattered haphazardly on the bench. As she began to clear away the chaos, she noticed a small envelope, as thick as a pack of playing cards, amidst the rubbish. It had arrived earlier in the week with no sender attached, and in the ensuing chaos, she had overlooked it. Desperate for a distraction, Bridget decided to open the envelope, her curiosity piqued by its mysterious contents. Almost instantly, she was taken aback, dropping the envelope onto the counter. After a moment to gather herself, she picked it up again, removing a small brown weathered diary. It was John's. She recognized it immediately. Along with the diary was a single sheet of paper, a letter, which she read with keen intent. Dear Bridget, I want to start by saying thank you for being my partner, my best friend, my lover, and my rock since the years that we met. Your kindness and sense of adventure are infectious, and a life with you has been an adventure. That is why it pains me to know that from here on out, I will only bring you pain, 
stress and suffering. Each day the hollowing out will continue, and no amount of love will ever fill me back up. That is why I have decided to relieve you of your duty. It was your sworn oath to save me, and you did. Now it is my duty to save you. Remember us as we were, not as the burden I was destined to become. My heart always will belong to you. By the time Bridget finished the last line, tears had already stained the page, causing the ink to bleed in all directions. With the letter still in her trembling hand, she collapsed onto the kitchen floor. A deep, uncontrollable cry erupted from within her, the pain of loss echoing off the stone walls of the cabin. As Bridget sobbed, her thoughts spun in a whirlwind of confusion and fear. The harsh reality seemed to distort around her as a barrage of questions bombarded her mind. What on earth was happening? Where was her son, Mark? And where was John? Chapter 20. The Key the stern voice echoed in the small, sterile interrogation room. Overseer, he's coming around, it announced. John, battling a throbbing headache and waves of dizziness, was regaining consciousness. He opened his eyes slowly, the stark lighting of the room almost too much to bear. To his right was a large rectangular mirror, its reflective surface casting back the room in sharp contrast. To his left, standing ominously behind him, was the figure who'd spoken dressed in a dark blue tactical outfit, his face obscured by a ski mask. Directly in front of John was a large screen, currently showing nothing but a dark silhouette. He squinted, trying to bring the figure into focus, but it remained stubbornly undefined. The illusion shattered when the figure spoke, its voice cold, robotic, and disturbingly monotonous. Mr. Herald, we meet at last. John, thoroughly confused, made an attempt to rise, he was met with a swift push from the blue-clad figure, forcing him back into his seat. Don't get up, Mr. Herald. We have much to discuss. As I told your accomplice, you're the key to all of this. The figure's words were chilling, ringing hollow in the sterile room. John felt fear gnawing at the edges of his mind. Look, I don't know what's happening, John stammered, a wave of pain shooting through his forehead, causing him to clutch at it. I'm a... I'm a... You, Mr. Herald, are a traitor, and this is your trial, the cold voice cut him off. Wait, I'm a traitor to England, I would never... The screen remained unmoving as the figure began to read the charges. Let the record show that Mr. Herald is charged with high treason for conspiring to instill terror against the United Kingdom in league with a known terrorist organisation known as the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood. Why does that name sound familiar, John wondered. The charges continued, John barely able to comprehend the words. The public should be aware that Mr. Herald is an individual motivated by a personal grudge. He is a disgruntled and disgraced government employee who manipulated others to gain access to his contacts in the Brotherhood. May I speak? John interjected, desperation seeping into his voice. Silence, the screen retorted. You are on trial. Taken aback, John fell silent. The figure continued. Next to give evidence will be a respected Ministry of the Corps Library employee. The screen changed, replacing the silhouette with a man in his fifties with a stern face and jet black hair. My name is Simon Blackwell, the man began. I'm here to corroborate the overseer's charges. Mr. Herald did not work alone in his terrorist activities. He manipulated a Ministry employee into stealing classified documents 
and forged a cover story to gain them both access to Germany. I know this because I was in regular contact with the employee, who's currently still at large. I was betrayed. John's mind was a whirlwind of confusion. He was in Germany, working with someone else. But who? He could barely piece together the fragments of information. The overseer's image took over the screen once again. The public has heard proof that Mr. Herald is both motivated and manipulative, capable of undertaking heinous acts of mass murder, the voice proclaimed emotionless. He is in league with the German Brotherhood's global network and is responsible for the bombing of London that claimed the lives of millions. We've all seen the images of the hellscape this man has caused, along with his accomplices, and it's clear that the reach of the Brotherhood extends not only aboard, but to traitors hid within our oldest institutions. John, aghast at the accusation, shot back. No, I must protest, he said, his fear turning into anger. How is it possible that I, one man, killed millions? The figure on the screen didn't hesitate. With the German's horror weapon, that's how. An atomic device, created in the fires of resentment and hate for the free and peace-loving world. The very same device that you secured in Germany and planted in the heart of London, the overseer retorted. John started. I don't even know what an atomic bomb is, I... Before he could finish, a sharp blow to his abdomen interrupted him. The baton dug deep, hitting his ribs. He doubled over, gasping in pain. Interrupt the proceedings again, and you will be held in contempt of this trial, Mr. Herald, the figure spoke coldly. John then noticed the man who assaulted him unholster a pistol attached to his belt webbing. Considering all the evidence, it is clear that Mr. Herald is guilty of high treason. He will be put to death by public execution, as per the emergency powers currently granted to the League, announced the Overseer. Shortly after the Overseer finished, a new crackling voice echoed over the loudspeaker. Overseer, the recording is complete. It will be processed and delivered to you in the next 24 hours. Marvellous. The voice had suddenly and inexplicably changed from a robotic tone to a distinctly feminine one. John, sensing that the trial was clearly over, decided to risk speaking once again. What's the point of all this? How can we have a trial without a jury? I don't even have a lawyer. Public meddling will soon be a thing of the past, Mr. Herald. Can't you see how much more efficient this was? No objections, just one simple truth, the overseer stated calmly. John responded, Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel remorse for a crime I have no recollection of committing. I don't care if you feel remorse, Mr. Herald. As I said at the beginning, you are the key to something much bigger, a revolution that is long overdue. What's that supposed to mean? John inquired cautiously. A long time ago, I realized that simply putting out fires was never going to achieve the goal of the core narrative. When people are comfortable, their minds wander. They're untamable. What people need is motivation. The great peace was lacking a great enemy. The lights in the room began to flicker, but the overseer continued unfazed. You see, people are lazy, selfish. Moreover, most of them are unwilling to change their habits unless something is threatening them. That's where you come in, Mr. Herald. The flickering lights intensified as the overseer's voice grew more impassioned. The world would never truly accept the Great Reset without a great tragedy, a chance to purge the filth and start anew. And the enemy, of course it's the old enemy, but with a twist. The enemy from within, a traitor that is always around the corner. 
John stared at the screen, the flickering lights reflected in his widened eyes. You're insane, he said, the blood still trickling down his face. Insane is not what they call me here, Mr. Herald. You see, the Germans and I are more like family. Some even call me... Before she could finish, the screen shut off, and the halogen bulbs went dark. John and his captor were plunged into sudden darkness, and John seized his opportunity. Chapter 21 The Resistance You nearly broke my goddamn jaw back there, Herald, you know that, Gunther complained, rubbing his chin. They were sitting in the back of a van, its white interior and hollow panels forming a tight shell around the two men. It turned out that the Brotherhood had followed John and Mark to the apartment to monitor the progress, stationing themselves down the hall. When they heard the Overseer forces approaching, they sprang into action to assist the two men and recover the proof. But in the ensuing scuffle, they had decided that only Mark could be saved. We should have gone back for him. Why did you just leave him there? Mark protested passionately. You obviously know nothing about survival, Gunther retorted. The few old batons we've scraped together would have been no match for a fully armed enforcement unit. They have semi-automatic weapons, stab-proof vests, hell even grenades. Your old man didn't even have shoes. Gunther turned towards his driver and spoke. Give me the ETA, the driver replied. We should be at the Cologne compound in five minutes. Gunther then turned back to Mark. Survival is about making practical and realistic choices. If you act with only this, Gunther pointed to Mark's chest, then you're never going to be ready for what's coming. Mark sat in silence. He knew the situation was hopeless. But that doesn't mean we're deserting him, Gunther continued. We know where they're taking him, and better yet, we still have something they want. Mark looked down at his lap and gazed at the plutonium, sealed in the protective cylinder. So, what's the plan? he asked, his voice filled with resolve. The plan is that we approach the compound where your father is more than likely being interrogated. We assume they're after information on the Brotherhood, so it's fair to say he's being squeezed for that information. Mark cringed at the thought. Gunther continued, When we get to the compound, we intend to cause a distraction. That should give you a chance to enter the building and locate your father. Mark felt a surge of adrenaline course through his body, a desperately needed energy boost as the hours crept towards five in the morning. Gunther, we're just about to hit the first checkpoint the man in the passenger seat announced. Okay, Mark, Gunther started. We're going to drop you off here, about a hundred meters from the back entrance. We'll take this hunk of junk down the road and start a little fire. When you see the smoke, that's your window. Mark nodded, shoving the cylinder into one of the pockets of his grey jumpsuit. Also, take this. Gunther handed Mark an old Luger pistol. Its brown handle was chipped and worn, and the barrel was matte black. Why didn't you use this back at the apartment? Mark asked, confusion lacing his words. This thing is a relic, probably from the Great War itself. It's got three rounds, that's it. Not enough to take on a whole unit of librarians, but maybe enough for one guard. Mark took the firearm into his hands. He had never held a gun in his life. It felt foreign. The safety is already off, Gunther said, as the van pulled to a sharp stop. All you need to do is point, exhale and squeeze. With that, the large man flung open the van doors, pushing Mark out into the breezy night air. As he went to close the door, he offered one last piece of advice to Mark. Oh, and Mark, if you get caught, those bullets are better than what the librarians will do to you. Mark's face was stony and resolute. He nodded at Gunther, 
and then waved them off. The van doors shut, and it tore off into the night. Mark crouched in the shadows, evaluating his surroundings. The old brick compound was guarded by a rusty security fence and a lone sentry standing at the front entrance. It was not long until his attention was drawn to the exploding vehicle in the distance. That's my cue, Mark muttered to himself, his heart pounding. Taking advantage of the distraction, Mark made his move. He darted across the gravel road and to the hole in the fence, carefully avoiding the sweeping gaze of the security cameras. However, as he neared the back entrance of the compound, his heart sank. The door was sealed shut by an electronic lock. Darn it, he muttered under his breath, scanning his surroundings for a solution. That's when he spotted an old power box mounted on the compound's outer wall. That could work, he thought, sprinting toward it. However, he was met with disappointment once again. The box was sealed shut with a sturdy padlock. He shook it violently, but to no avail. I've got no time for this, he grumbled, drawing the Luger pistol from his pocket. With a quick aim and a controlled breath, he fired. The padlock shattered into pieces, allowing him to pry open the door of the power box. Inside was an array of switches and wires. There was no master switch, no easy way to cut the power to the compound. Of course, it won't be that simple, he mumbled, frustration seeping into his voice. His gaze fell on the Luger again. Two bullets left. Can it even damage this circuitry? And if it does, I'm practically defenseless. Think, Mark, think. His fingers brushed against the cylinder in his pocket. A glimmer of hope sparked in his mind. He knew the next move he was about to make was risky, even desperate. But it was the only chance he had to infiltrate the compound. Nothing short of a Hail Mary. Cradling the cylinder in his hands, Mark carefully examined its sealed casing. After ensuring its integrity, he decisively cracked the seal and unscrewed the lid, revealing a smaller metal tube within. A tiny glass window on the tube allowed him to glimpse the silver-enriched plutonium inside. Mark steeled himself. He quickly devised a plan in his mind. Open it, dump it in the box, make sure it's touching the board, close the lid, and back away swiftly. His movements were meticulous and calculated. Unscrewing the lid, he slid the silver rod adjacent to the circuit board, cautious not to let it touch anything else. His heart pounded in his chest as he shut the lid, hastily retreating towards the rear entrance. He stood there, his breath coming in ragged gasps, as he prayed for a miracle. Minutes ticked away in a tense silence, leaving Mark's hopes hanging by a thread. He stared at the still operational camera, its mechanical eye relentless in its surveillance. This isn't going to work, he murmured to himself, a sinking feeling in his gut. But fortune was not done with him yet. A loud zap sounded off, and the compound fell into darkness. The camera froze, its glowing eye extinguished. With the door's magnetic lock now disengaged, Mark wasted no time. He charged forward, yanking the handle and stepping into the eerie blackness of the compound's halls. The crunching sound of shattered old light bulbs under his shoes echoed in the silence. He ventured deeper into the compound, his ears tuned to a faint noise, the sound of a struggle. His grip tightened around the handle of his pistol as the noise grew louder. His pace quickened, his eyes strained in the darkness until they caught sight of a door at the end of the main hall. A small window in the door lit up with a flash, followed by the deafening bang of a firearm, then another and another. Panic surged within him. Dad! he yelled, his voice echoing in the empty halls. With a renewed sense of urgency, 
Mark sprinted towards the door, his pistol at the ready. He exploded into the room just as the red safety lights flickered to life, bathing the room in an eerie hue. A figure stood at the centre, wielding a tactical handgun over a lifeless body that was bathed in an unsettling shade of deep purple. As the gunman turned, Mark's heart stopped in his chest. Bloodied and battered, the weathered features of his father's face came into focus. John kept his gun trained on Mark, his voice trembling. Who are you? Do you work for them too? The muzzle of the gun danced slightly, a reflection of John's internal struggle. Dad, it's me, Mark. Don't you remember me? Mark's voice was filled with an undercurrent of desperate hope. But John shrugged off the sentiment, a cruel laugh escaping his lips. I think I would remember having a son, he retorted, dismissing the idea with a wave of his gun. More lies. Now get out of my way or you'll end up like your partner here. Mark read the determination in his father's eyes, and he knew John was serious. He lowered his gun to the floor, his voice catching in his throat. Dad, I know you're in there. Please, we said we'd do this together. John stepped closer, gun now pointed directly at Mark's chest. His hands were shaking as he coldly challenged, Give me one reason why I should listen to you. Mark could smell the burnt residue of the recent gunshot. His mind raced for a lifeline. Bridget, he finally blurted out. John's eyes darted around the room as if searching for an invisible ghost. What did you say? he rasped, his grip on the gun weakening. Dad, you have to get back to Bridget. The weight of the name seemed to crack the shell that had enclosed John's mind. John repeated the name like a sacred prayer. Bridget. Then his gaze snapped to Mark, realization dawning. And you're Mark. A smile crept onto his face as he dropped the gun, enveloping his son in a tight embrace. I'm so sorry, son. What have I done? Mark gently held his father's face, a surge of relief coursing through him. Dad, it's okay. You're a survivor. But Dad, we really need to get out of here. Gunther is waiting for us. Mark tried to pull away, but his father held him tight. Wait, the recording. I was interrogated about a bomb that went off in London. We have to get that recording, or at least some information. Mark's heart pounded in his chest. London? Jesus Christ, are you serious? Mark's concern then turned to focus on the sound of approaching voices. Dad, we seriously don't have time. We have to get the plutonium and get to Gunther. If you're not in custody, the recording won't work anyway, right? Mark reasoned. I guess okay, let's go, John conceded, the urgency of their situation settling in. The moment Mark opened the door, a hail of bullets ricocheted off it. He dove to the floor, grabbing his pistol. Cover in three, two, one. He fired a blind round down the hallway, giving them a moment's respite to bolt towards the rear entrance, the moonlight a beacon in the dark hallway. They were but mere meters from the outside world when John collapsed, clutching his foot. His bare feet were littered with glass shards, blood oozing from numerous cuts. Dad, come on, get up, I'll carry you, Mark urged. But John clutched Mark's collar, pulling him close, his voice barely a whisper. This is the end of the line for me, Mark. He took Mark's pistol from him. This is my Alamo, and I couldn't be more proud of you. The distinct sound of advancing guards echoed through the hall, bullets flying around them. Dad, I won't let you down. I'll keep our family safe, I promise. Mark choked back tears, the harsh reality sinking in. I know you will, son. John's voice was full of conviction. With a last surge of energy, he hoisted himself onto his bleeding feet, brandishing the gun. Go! He fired the last round, hitting one of the guards. 
Mark took the opportunity to bolt towards the door, slamming it shut behind him. The deafening silence that followed was broken by the click of an empty gun. John sank to his knees, the guards surrounding him. He's out, take him alive. The overseer needs him for the public execution, one of them commanded. I have also secured the recording, sir, said one of the three figures. John then whispered something indiscernible. The guards leaned in. You got something you want to say, traitor. With that, a small metal ring clinked on the floor, echoing ominously. John then looked up, revealing a stolen live grenade in his bloody hands. Long live the resistance, you wankers. It was too late for the guards to react. A blinding flash and a deafening explosion erupted from John's hands, setting the hallway completely ablaze. Chapter 22 The Great Reset Having managed to procure a second-hand black sedan, Gunther and his men were set to provide a swift getaway. Mark, securely clutching the plutonium in his hands and with tears in his eyes, jumped into the back seat, and the car peeled off down the road. As the fugitives all raced towards the Hohenzollernbrucker Bridge, they were greeted in the distance by the ominous roar of the helicopter once again. Inside the helicopter, a librarian perched precariously in the open side door, his webbing secured to the chopper's frame as he leaned into the early morning air. Still no update from the group leader, the pilot radioed through the audio system. Copy, the librarian responded. I'm going to proceed with disabling the vehicle before it crosses the bridge. The librarian then pulled out an automatic rifle, its scope zeroing in on the darting vehicle below. Down on the deserted city streets, Gunther expertly manoeuvred the sedan, the first light of dawn spilling onto the horizon. The gunner took a deep breath to slow his heart rate, his sight locked on target when a loud crackle over the headphones made him startle. Gunner, stand down. You're not cleared to engage, came the pilot's voice. Repeat that order, the gunner demanded, the sedan rapidly disappearing from his sights. Direct orders from the overseer. She's returning to London. The plans have changed, the pilot informed him. Understood. The gunner sighed, laying down his weapon and pulling himself back inside the chopper. As the battered sedan crashed through the barricade and onto the bridge, Mark glanced back to see the helicopter veer away, shrinking into the distance. A sigh of relief escaped his lips, but deep within him, he knew their fight was far from over. As the sedan weaved through the labyrinthine city streets of Cologne, disappearing into the heart of the old city, the sun rose on a new day, a day that marked the beginning of a new era. The Great Reset had begun.